The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Museum Life with Carol Bossert. Museums play an important role in our lives. Nearly every good-sized city has at least one museum. On today's show, we'll discuss how museums are not only important places to display artifacts and teach us, they also contribute to the economic development of the areas where they're located. Now, here is your host, Carol Bossert. Good morning. This is Carol Bossert, and welcome to Museum Life. I'm coming to you from very snowy Washington, D.C. this morning, uh, but... I am looking forward to a great show. You know, one of the uh, issues that we face as museum professionals, or I like, uh, I'm sometimes referred to as, you know, a museum person, is we tend to talk about issues amongst ourselves. And that can get a little insular sometimes. And it's always good uh, to shake the cobwebs and get us sort of out of our ruts by talking to people who uh, didn't come from our uh, little corner of the world, who ha- are bringing different perspectives and uh, uh, thoughts from uh from different areas of, of industry and experience. And so that's why I'm really excited about our show today and our guest. Uh, the title of the show today is Breathing Life into Audience Discussions. We're going to be talking about the issue of museum audience. Uh, it seems sort of obvious to say that museums would be nothing if people didn't visit them or take advantage of their their. Uh, uh, activities and their services and museums and other cultural institutions are always asking the question how can we we expand our audience how how can we find new audiences and so uh, today I'm really excited that we that our my guest today is Matt Lehrman now Matt really brings uh, entrepreneurial insight into this audience building discussion. He has worked with arts organizations and cultural destinations. In a minute, I will let Matt tell you his own uh, uh, journey of how he is now doing what he's doing today. He is the principal of a company called Audience Avenue, and he is nationally recognized for his popular Audiences Everywhere workshops that help organizations get smarter, grow stronger, and gain audiences. Matt also is a blogger. You can reach him at Audiences Wanted, which is published by Arts Journal. And previously, Mart's Matt served as the founder and CEO of Alliance for Audience and ShowUp.com, which is, uh, and I know, and I want him to tell us a little bit about that very interesting project, which was an Arizona statewide initiative to act, activate public engagement in theater, music, dance, art, and cultural attractions. Matt, welcome to the show today. Thank you very much. Delighted to be with you. 
Matt, as I promised our listeners, I think it will help them uh, ground our, our uh, discussion today. Could you uh, share with us a little bit about your background and how you became interested invol- and involved in arts organizations? Sure. I'm happy to share that. Um, you know, I grew up in New York. My parents owned a graphic design business. And uh, as a kid, I spent my time uh, making sales calls on behalf of their business and going to the restaurant uh, and uh, hotel trade association shows and uh, selling their services. Mostly they did graphic design for the restaurant and um, uh, hotel industries. And I've never, I've never been artistic myself, um, but I grew up essentially selling and enabling artists and, uh, and uh, coming back to the office and working with a studio full of artists. And so, you know, I'm reminded of the, the Woody Allen line, you know, where, where you know, he says that uh, those that can't do teach and those that can't teach teach gym. <laughs> so in my case, it's those that can't do art go into arts administration. And so I, I went to college at uh, Oberlin College in Ohio. I was not a music major, however. I was in the, in the college. I was a government major. Um, but I was immersed in the conservatory and immu- immersed in the, uh, the art that goes on. It, it's, an, it's an art immersive kind of environment. I graduated. I went to Washington, D.C. I was working as a lobbyist for uh, two national trade associations in the time that I was there. But in Washington, I immediately volunteered and became a docent at the Smithsonian. And I was one of the people who, if you came on a, I forget if it was a Saturday or a Sunday morning, um, I'm one of the people who gave tours of the Smithsonian Castle Building in Washington, D.C. Or you would have found me at the at the front desk at the American uh, the Museum of, of uh, American History uh, because uh, I, I just wanted to be in that kind of an environment. Um, when my wife and I moved to Arizona 25 years ago, um, I came out and I, I took a position in sales and marketing in the banking industry. But my mom had, uh, and I always follow mom's advice, uh, said, you know, you should go volunteer over at the Scottsdale Center for the Arts. They're very nice people and you'll meet some, meet some nice people. And I did. And um, I've, I've always uh, enjoyed being around the arts. And after, gosh, uh, five or six years out here, the position opened up to be the director of marketing for the Scottsdale Center for the Arts. And I knew I wanted that position. I've been working in the banking industry for a long time. And um, I, long story short, I got the job. And, um, and I actually got to work in the field that I've always been passionate about. And um, so maybe the lesson here is, is that I've always come to my passion for the arts genuinely. Uh, but uh, uh, it's really more viewing the arts from the audience side of the equation, not from the artist or the, the curator or artistic director side of it. Um, I'm, I'm a fan of audience participation in arts and cultural activities. Oh, that's, that's great, Matt. And that's a wonderful story. I, I, 
you know, it, it actually parallels, uh, my, my, my story very much of, of always being, uh, a museum goer, always loving mm-hmm. arts organizations and then volunteering, uh, in such organizations because of course you meet really great people, both, uh, uh museum makers and museum goers, uh, and then following your passion, uh, knowing what you wanted and, and then, uh, uh, really building on that. That's a, that's a, uh, a really great story. So I, I need to uh, clarify one thing. When I said that you were not a museum person, I lied. You are a museum person. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. You know, I, you remind me. Um, I remember my parents taking me to museums in New York when I was a kid. And I remember probably like most kids, you know, thinking this is boring. This is not what I want to be doing. There's other things I would rather be doing. Um, but then I also remember being able to go into school Monday morning and sharing some of the insights of what I had seen and what I had learned and thinking, you know, this is actually kind of cool. And so for all those parents out there who um, who introduce their kids to uh, to museums and to arts and who let them know that museums are places where you are welcome, where we we go for fun, where we go for inspiration, where we go for insight and education, um, you know, even just going through the act of it with your children while they're young has such long-term uh, wonderful uh, implications. Yeah, here, here, here. Uh, can you share with us a little bit about the showup.com project? Oh, I'd love to. So, um, so there I was. I was the director of marketing at the Scottsdale Center for the Arts. I started there in August of 1995. And I became friendly with the other marketing director. And that was one of the, that's, the Scottsdale Center was, uh, one of the largest nonprofit arts organizations here in the Phoenix uh, area. And um, I became friendly with the marketing directors of all the other arts and cultural organizations here as well. Um, and in the time that I was at Scottsdale, we also opened the Scottsdale Museum of Contemporary Art in uh, 1999. So I, I had this interesting position because I was the shared marketing person both for a performing arts center and for a brand new museum. And because I knew all the marketing people at the other theater companies and the other museums and was well networked, we, the marketing directors would get together every month or so and we would drink a beer and we would, you know, talk about how challenging marketing the arts is in, in this time and in Phoenix, Arizona and, and, and the like. But Carol, the, the real pivotal moment came on September 11th. 2001 and um and i don't you know i don't mean to make light of of you know this was a huge national global you know catastrophe and incident but just from the perspective of arts organizations in the phoenix metro area um it was it was significant in the fact that from a performing arts standpoint in september is when you put single tickets on sale having sold season tickets throughout the summer well, of course, on September 11th, those ticket sales stopped immediately. And for the museums, all the tourists stopped flying into town. So every arts and cultural organization was put into crisis at precisely the same moment. About, and we were all, you know, the marketing directors, we were all talking to each other and, you know, trying to figure out what's going on. And you remember those times, you know, awful times. And no one wanted to go out and we wanted just to, to pay attention to the news. And about five weeks after, uh, after 
I called up the head of, of advertising at the Arizona Republic, our main newspaper, a, a, a woman that I knew. She was actually on the board at Scottsdale. And I said, hey, I have an idea. Um, would the paper donate a free full-page ad if I could put together a universal two-for-one coupon that could be redeemed at any arts and cultural organization in town? And with all due respect, you know, the, the newspaper was not always known for being the most agile, forward-thinking organization. But to her credit, um, she said on the spot, she said, yes, absolutely, we'll do that. And we went from idea to execution in five days. And someone donated, you know, someone created the ad and someone else, we, we kind of just ran everything very, very quickly. And that Sunday, um, a full page ad in the arts section of the Arizona Republic invited people to come, to come to their theaters, to their museums with a two for one coupon. And the message that we wanted to send was that even in tough times, or maybe especially in tough times, we behave as a community. We, 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 we live together in the theaters and in the galleries of our cultural institutions. And I went down to my museum and, and to the center box office on that Sunday, and people came in with the two-for-one coupons, and I watched as our admissions desk and our box office would sell the two-for-one and then hand the coupon back and say, here, now go use it somewhere else. Now, Carol, I may be a really lousy marketing person because all these years later, I still can't tell you in the whole Valley of the Sun, I can't tell you how many coupons were redeemed and whether we cannibalized full price sales or whether we got lifetime value out of those. I mean, those are things that the marketing folks should really know. But, you know, in the moment, this was a genuine gesture of the arts and cultural community to the public that invited them back in a very significant way. And for the arts community, it was a huge aha moment where we said that if a hundred of us had called the hundred different people we knew at the newspaper and had said, hey, you know, times are really tough and we're really hurting, can you help us? They would have, we would have heard no, you know, or sorry, I can't help you. You know, everyone's uh, having problems now. If I do it for you, I have to do it for everyone. But the lesson that one person acting on behalf of, of a team or of a collaboration uh, could do something extraordinary, could move a mountain. That was a lesson that stayed with us. And I spent the next two years walking around town, talking to the leaders of arts and cultural organizations, large and small, about the idea of creating an alliance for audience development, the idea that we could work together to achieve objectives that are impossible for any of us to do on our own. And so in September of 2003, we incorporated Alliance for Audience as an independent nonprofit organization, and we were best known to the public by the brand showup.com. And we operated that organization and that, uh, uh, that service, a, a community calendar, discount tickets, uh, museum pass programs, um, and, and a number of other promotional efforts. We ran that uh, initiative for nearly 10 years. Um, and only shut it down about a year and a half ago for a lot of reasons that have to do with uh, changes in philanthropy and changes in the economic climate here and a lot about changes in technology. But we felt very successful that for 10 years we did 
we made really significant gains in collaborative audience development for arts and cultural organizations. You know what? That's a that is an amazing uh, and heartfelt story, Matt. I I agree with you. You know, those uh, you know the nine eleven uh, situation is still so raw uh, for our country and for us mm. as individuals. But but it does show uh, how important arts and cultural organizations were uh, for individuals as a as a safe place to go, as a healing place to go. Uh, there were stories, of course, here on the East Coast. Uh, museums in in New York and um, New Jersey opening their doors and just as as sort of a, a quiet place to go. But I'm I'm fascinated. I honestly didn't know. Uh, you know, we were so wrapped up here in Washington with our own issues. Uh, I really didn't know that you know what was going on with the rest of the country. But of course, you felt it just as deeply as we did. It, the other thing that strikes me that is so marvelous about that story, and we don't. Hear it very much is the uh, the idea of collaboration uh, amongst a variety of arts and cultural organizations. You know, it wasn't just the museums and it wasn't just the performing arts institutions. But you really broke down some major silos, didn't you? Well, you know, I, I yes, but but it wasn't that I broke them down. It was that the situation we were in demanded. Um, a different kind of solution, and I, I kind of left out one of the, the learning moments here. You know, when I put, when I made the promise that we were going to do this um, universal two for one coupon, I, um, <laughs> I, uh, I made the promise, but I had no mechanism for knowing that it was truly universal. So we created this ad, we ran it, and that Monday morning, so the day after the ad ran. The newspaper was awash in phone calls from arts organizations that had not been included in the ad. And, of course, the newspaper – this is this is the no good deed goes unpunished uh, rule. So the newspaper gladly forwarded all of those phone calls to me because I was the one who had organized this and put it together. And really the, the lesson out of that was if we wanted to work collaboratively, we really needed to have a system in place to know that those that wanted to work together had the ability – to do it, and we created the mechanism to do it. And even at that point, it took us two years to put it together. But you're right, this this um, breaking of silos was motivated by the external force of, of the situation. And then me and, frankly, a whole lot of other people I worked with to pull this together, um, really important that uh, we learned how to work together out of a time of crisis. Uh, you know... It is those learning experiences, and thank you for being being uh, honest and brave enough to share that. You know, we uh, we all have these learning experiences, these sort of moments where we say, "Oh, sure," but we often don't share them. And I think that it's very important for us uh, uh, to to share those those issues, particularly for uh, people uh, who are listening, and 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 for just our our colleagues who are new to fields, and to you know, we all say, "Oh, you make mistakes and you learn from them," but but we don't usually cop to our own little little moments. So thank you for doing that. We're coming up on a break, and so I am going, I think this is a good spot to uh, stop for, for a moment or two. And I want to remind uh, all of our listeners that you can continue the conversation with me at any time at Carol. 
uh, bossertservices.com or at carol.bossert at verizon.net. You can also reach Matt at audienceavenue.com. That's audienceavenue.com. That's one word. Uh, and when we come back, I will share with the group uh, some of the uh, wonderful – you have a number of uh, programs scheduled uh, throughout the country in the next uh, coming months, and I want to share some of those with our, our listeners as well. But for right now, uh, we're going to take a short break. This is Carol Bossert uh, for the Museum Life, and uh, we will be back in a moment. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. Want to help make our world a better place, but not sure where to start? Tune into Better Worldians Radio with the creators of the social game on Facebook called A Better World. Join hosts Ray, Mary Sue, and Gregory Hansel, who will inspire you to make a big difference in small ways. They'll speak to experts, authors, volunteers, and everyday people who are changing the world daily. Better Worldians Radio is heard live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to radioshow at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert. You're listening to Museum Life. Today we are talking about the issue of developing museum audiences with Matt Lehrman, uh, who has a wonderful practice in the, is based in the Phoenix area, is actually very famous in Phoenix. Uh, we just discovered that, that our, our show producer here at Voice America is, uh, no, uh, it, recognized him uh, right off the bat for his work that he's been doing in Phoenix. Uh, but, you know, Matt also, of course, has an, a significant consulting practice uh, co- uh, 
Audience Avenue. And uh, at the next, before we go to the next break, I will read off some of the places where he's going to be uh, doing some of his workshops uh, so that you'll around the country so that you'll be able to uh, to grab onto one of those. Uh, I think you'll agree that Matt really brings a, a unique and very much needed perspective uh, and vocabulary to this issue of audience. Matt, welcome back. I'm glad to be with you. Matt, one of the questions that I that I wanted to ask you, you know, obviously you travel around the country these days, you work with museums and other arts organizations, and it's no secret that since about 2008, you know, when the, the country suffered a significant uh, blow to our economy, uh, the arts and museums are still feeling that through issues of philanthropy, through um, uh, families. And, and others who just feel that they don't have that little extra money to, you know, go out to dinner, let alone go to a museum or or go to the theater. Uh, and and it, so how do how would you characterize the ways that uh, some of the museums and arts organizations are responding uh, to these current economic realities? Carol, that is such a great question. You know, just to tie this to what we were talking about earlier, where where 2001 threw arts and cultural organizations into crisis all at the same time, 2008 was very different. The economic downturn didn't happen just overnight, and organizations were either fast or slow to recognize the challenges they were facing, or sometimes they were just fast or slow to admit publicly admit the challenges that they were facing. And when I say publicly, I mean not just to the public, but even to themselves and to their boards of directors. So when the downturn started, what you had was some organizations in denial saying, you know, we, we think things are okay or things are going to turn around quickly or just failing to recognize what was going to happen, which meant that um, the effect of the onslaught of the economic downturn was very inconsistent. And for, I would say, even for a couple of years, it was hard to have a conversation with arts and cultural organizations generally, because not everyone was at the same place of recognition. At some point, we got into the midst of it, the idea that organizations, that nonprofit organizations had to hunker down, that this was a time to batten the hatches, not take risk, cut uh, every extraneous uh, bit of uh, budget that could possibly be cut while doing everything possible not to compromise mission and not to sacrifice the quality of the work that they do. And I have to say, I, the book still has not been written, but someone will write a book one day about what it means to persevere through this kind of a economic downturn from a nonprofit arts and cultural perspective, because I believe there are truly heroic stories to be told within there. But here we are in 2014, and frankly, I, I travel the country a lot, and I talk to uh, people leading museums as well as other kinds of uh, performing arts organizations, other kinds of uh, cultural destinations like zoos and botanical gardens and science centers. And my take is that we are coming out of what, you know, people keep calling this the Great Recession. I think from an arts and cultural perspective that we might look back at this one day as the Great Hibernation. And my sense is that 
we're just beginning to awaken from that hibernation now. It doesn't mean that there's not snow on the ground and, and you know, still somewhat inhospitable environment into which we're awaking, but we are awaking and there is the, the seeds of hunger and ambition. And there are people now in organizations that have weathered the storm who are beginning to ask the question, what's worthy of our artistic ambition going forward and how do we move our organizations in that direction and i'm really very excited about those kinds of potentials i i i'm hearing from people all over the place that they are looking to remake the business models of their organization and especially they're looking to remake the methods of engagement of audiences in what they do because also in the last 10 years we've seen the greatest uh, advancement of human communication that has ever taken place perhaps in all of human history with the advent of of everything that technology allows us to do right now so it's a it's an awakening it's the end of a hibernation and i'm actually really excited about what can uh, what's possible for us going forward you know you you've said so many things i want to unpack uh, a couple of them i i I love your term hibernation. Maybe it's because I here in Washington, I feel like we've been hibernating all winter. <laughs> but um, the as you describe it, it's almost as if there are times where there needs to be uh, that hunkering down isn't just that moment of being frozen in in time or frozen in action, but it's it's a time where there can be some internal firmament. Uh, mm. If you will, uh, you know, I, I'm a I'm a biologist by training, so everything eventually comes back to a, a biology analogy. And you know, if, of, of course, uh, you know, the seasons mean that that uh, the leaves fall off the trees, but they're not dead. In fact, that's the time of, of greatest internal work to uh, produce those uh, the little buds that will eventually uh, spring forth in, into beautiful flowers and and leaves for the rest of the year. And so it sort of sounds like that's what you're saying, that there was this, you know, intake of breath, uh, but, but it was all that led to perhaps some more self-assessment. Would you agree with that? Oh, 100%. And, and I don't have the biology background, but I love that you uh, added that to it. Thank you. Uh, so as you, um, you know, so, so let's then now focus this down a little bit more you know, as, as you say, you know, museums are, are now thinking a little bit more critically about who they are and what they're doing and who they're doing it for. And that automatically leads to issues of audience. Uh, when, when you, um, you know, how would you characterize, how, how do you hear museums talking about their audience, you know, obviously before they've uh, participated in your workshops? <laughs> well, that's a really good question. You know, I, I've, I've, been, I've been now professionally doing arts marketing for close to 20 years. And um, what I found is the same attitude towards um, audience, towards arts marketing, permeates museums and performing arts organizations. On this, there's really not a lot of difference. And it's the idea that is often told in marketing committees or that CEOs tell their um, 
they're marketing directors, and they say that the job of marketing is to pick the low-hanging fruit. And if you think about that metaphor a little bit, what it says is you because we have limited budget and limited time, uh, and especially in museums where earned revenue isn't typically the main uh, revenue source, uh, they say pick the low-hanging fruit, which essentially says bring in the audiences, sell the admissions to the people that are easy. And then a little bit further up the tree, we'll spend a little bit of advertising to shake the tree a little bit and see if we can get any of that fruit to fall. Uh, and so we'll, we'll put an ad on uh, national public radio or, or I shouldn't say an ad, but a sponsorship. But, or we'll do something, you know, very modest. But frankly, our attitude is that that's the only amount of the tree that we are entitled to or that we should be thinking about doing. And quite frankly, I am very dissatisfied with the metaphor. And when I teach my workshop, uh, which is called Audiences Everywhere, when I teach the workshop on what the future of arts marketing and of audience building needs to look like, we literally have a moment in the workshop where we chop down the tree. Because our attitude is that at the upper ends of the tree, that those people are not worthy. They're not worthy of our effort. They're not worthy of the expense and that something must be wrong with them, that the that they're uneducated, they're uninterested, they didn't grow up with it, and that somehow we can just give up on them. And that's an attitude that deserves to change, and I hit that, that attitude pretty hard when I talk about audience building. So we literally chop down the tree and say, we live in a time where we can no longer afford, for a variety of reasons, we can no longer afford to forsake any portion of the audience out there. We are nonprofit organizations, which means we have a federally uh, provided recognition that the work that we do is important to our society. And that means that we have an obligation to serve society. Many of us operate in uh, municipal-owned buildings or receive uh, local or state or NEA uh, financial support. All of these things tell us that we have a responsibility to serve the breadth of our community. Low-hanging fruit may be good if you're a for-profit business and your only measure of success is return on investment. But we answer, <laughs> it's like the old commercial, you know, for Hebrew National, we answer to a higher authority. Our responsibility is to serve the communities that we're in and not just to serve the low-hanging fruit of people who are easy to get to come in the door. Our job is to serve as many people in our, in our community as possible. So the, the, the take home for today for, for listeners that may have to be doing something else, um, audiences are not apples. <laughs> That's exactly right. Audiences are not apples. We have, to, we have a responsibility to care for the entire tree not just pick the apples when they're ripe. See, I told you you could come up with a biology analogy. Aren't they, aren't they useful? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, no, you know, the other thing that I think is really important in, in what you're saying, Matt, and, and, uh, so many of our, our programs, uh, and our, and my guests uh, talk about this issue of, yes, we, we we are not just uh, an organization that, or organizations that can measure ourselves by a bottom line, um, and 
in fact, uh, that's not how our, our business works at all. Obviously, we have to be uh, fiscally responsible. We have to uh, be sustainable. But more importantly, we need to live our mission. Uh, and it reminds me when you were talking about, you know, just that, that phrase, you know, low-hanging fruit, which is so common uh, in the for-profit world, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. But it's another example of how uh, museums and arts institutions often put on the paradigm of another industry instead of uh, standing up and finding our, our own voice and our own uh, paradigm, and, uh, and, and I think to our peril. Carol, I, I agree with you completely. So, so think about this now. The, the, the challenge is, is that having been hunkered down for the last five years or so, many of these organizations have had staff turnover uh, in their mid-level ranks. So there are people who are running organizations that literally don't know what it's like to advance the the, the, the mission of their organizations. There are board members who have only known that their job is to impose fiscal responsibility on their organizations. And there are CEOs who have been working so hard to hold everything together that it's hard to kind of peek out and, and get that ambition going again. So that's, that's kind of the, the big message that I want to send out today, which is we are once again in a time of ambition and we should be open to dreaming and open to pursuing mission boldly. And our organizations were created for that function and it's time to get back out there and doing it as creatively and as impactfully as we can. Uh, I could not say it better. And so I think that, uh, Rather than step on what I thought was just a, a very, very strong message, we are just about a minute from break, so I am going to take this opportunity to remind people that if you want to contact Matt, if you want to hear uh, hear him, if you want to bring your entire museum uh, board and staff to one of his workshops, you can find out where he is going to be at Audience Avenue. New.com. It looks as if next uh, next week you're going to be in lovely Florida. That was pretty good planning. Uh, Tampa, Orlando, Fort Lauderdale, Tallahassee uh, in March, beginning March 14th. You'll be in the Bay Area and then moving across the country on March 20th to New York City, March 26th, St. Louis, Missouri, and March 27th, uh, one of my hometowns, Detroit, Michigan. And I know that you have uh, even workshops scheduled farther out from that. So I encourage all of uh, Museum Life listeners to uh, to get to know Matt a little bit more at audienceavenue.com and uh, take advantage of one of one of these workshops. And of course, you can always reach me uh, to continue this conversation at carolbossertservices.com and uh, my direct email at carol.bossert at verizon.net. We have one more se uh, segment in our show today, and I know Matt is going to give us some more ways that we can talk about audience and think 
think about audience and a and a better vocabulary that can can sort of open our eyes uh, to new possibilities. So we'll be back in a moment. This is Carol Bossert with Museum Life. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Each week, Jimmy Gould brings you the stories and the people that you want to hear about. Tune in to A Current Life to hear about the journey to success, how our guests became the people they are today, and the highs and lows they experienced along the way. Each hour will leave you inspired and entertained as Jimmy gets up close and personal with every week's guest and shares ideas you can identify with and apply to your own life. A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Family caregivers face some tough challenges every day in caring for a partner, parent, child, sibling, friend, neighbor, or even coworker. You are there to provide the care that these people need after everyone else has gone home. Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley will provide you with a social networking experience. You'll hear from experts and others who are experiencing the same things, and together you will promote a common cause. Tune in to Family Caregivers Unite, live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to radioshow at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert from Museum Life. I'm here today with Matt Lehrman. We've been talking about uh, this exciting time in the world of museums and non uh, nonprofits and arts organizations to uh, go uh, go forward boldly. Uh, in into the future to seize the moment uh, to really seize their mission and to live it and uh, Matt and I before the break we were talking about the uh, the old adage well you know museums just have to get the low-hanging fruit and Matt you were saying you know let's just chop down the whole tree because that that analogy is not working so mm. in your workshop uh, you say you actually do chop down a, a proverbial tree to sort of get things rolling so then what <laughs> yeah so we chop down the uh, the proverbial PowerPoint uh, uh, tree and we replace it with a with a a quadrant chart. And if you can just try to imagine this, um, if you if you have a chart that goes from left to right, and it measures um, the interest of an audience uh, as it exists today, so that the right side is a high level of interest and the left side is a relatively low 
level of interest. And then if you imagine the, the vertical, the up and down line is a function of capacity. And capacity is, you know, do they have time? Do they have money? Do they have the opportunity? Is this somewhere nearby? Do they have the physical ability to attend? And if you lay those two lines on top of each other, you kind of begin to get the idea that um, in the top right corner, you can call people who have a lot of interest and who have a lot of capacity. We can think of those audiences as devoted. Those devoted audiences come to us. They already know that they love the museum. They love your mission. They probably know more about the art than you do, that your curator does. In fact, they're the ones who are going to call up the museum director or the curator and say, hey, I just heard that this exhibit is available for tour. Or, hey, how come you haven't uh, um, exhibited this kind of work out of your collection? Because they just love and know the work so well. The devoted deserve a depth of relationship that organizations have historically done a pretty good job of, but technology and other things uh, allow us to do even more. The lower right side of the quadrant, these are people who have high interest, but their capacity is lower. I call them oriented. And I think of these as the people who open up the Sunday arts section of the newspaper, and they're oriented to look in the arts section and say, hey, I wonder what's going on. What would be a fun thing to do today or this week or next weekend? Or I've got people coming in from out of town. What can we show them? Because we know that we like arts generally. And if you think about arts marketing, if you think about that old paradigm of the tree, arts marketing lives in these two areas. We do a pretty good job of putting our roots in the devoted and a little bit further up the branch. We do our marketing to the oriented, and that's about as far as we go. But I'm especially interested in the left side of this quadrant chart. So in the lower left corner, I call those people asleep. Those are people who have lower interest and lower capacity. And frankly, for years, uh, museums and other arts organizations have written these folks off, and, we, and we, we said terrible things about them, right? We said, you know, they're uneducated, they're, they're not motivated, there's nothing we can do to get them to, to come in. But I've removed the pejorative term. Asleep applies to their state of being, but I hope it also conveys that it's our job to wake them up that we as arts organizations in community service need to find ways of bringing our mission to them on their terms. And Carol, that means if that means going to the little league fields and the soccer fields and going to the beach or the park or the stadium or wherever people are, or the malls, wherever people are having their life experience going on, then we have to think creatively, not just about bringing a marketing message to them. We, the world does not need another flyer to be distributed. It needs the arts organizations to use their resources and their creativity to figure out ways to advance their mission in the places where other people live, where people really live. Finally, in that upper left-hand quadrant, I call those people uninspired. The uninspired, and you know who these people are, right? They have not a lot of interest, but they have plenty of capacity. They're spending their money on lots of other things. They're going to sports. They're traveling. They're buying beautiful home uh, uh, DVD systems and sound systems, and they're, they're leading very full and engaged lives, but going to the museum 
was not something that they ever learned to do. And, and they're the most exciting quadrant in all of this because we have the ability to inspire them and to introduce them to what we're doing. And again, we have to use all the tools that are at our disposal, technology being one of them, but it's not the only one. We need to leverage our resources in a very significant way. So my, my point in all this is the mindset is that we have to be thinking as arts, as museums and as arts organizations, how do we take our limited resources and our limited time and how do we advance our organization in each of these directions? That's why I call the, the workshop audiences everywhere, because there are some things that you can do today for the exhibit that's going on this weekend. And there are some things you can do today that are going to serve your organization and serve your community well a year, five years, 10 years from now. And we must not lose sight of the fact that we exist on a time frame. And it's important that we are building our organizations now and into the future. Sorry for the, the long lecture, but that's kind of the, the, the meat of, of what I'm so passionate about teaching. No, 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 no. That that was really great. And what what occurs to me, um, and you and I talked a little bit about this uh, uh, when before in preparation for this discussion today, but what occurs to me that is so distinctive, I mean, every everybody, you know, has a different way of parsing audience, and you're right, yours really does take away the judgment, uh, which is something mm -hmm. that, that can really, really uh, uh, hamstring us, but more importantly, it acknowledges that every exhibit or every institution uh, has, um, what do I want to say? Uh, you can be, uh, say, a member of the, I'll use myself as an example, member of the Kennedy Center. Uh, my husband and I are members of the Kennedy Center. We enjoy going to the uh, the, the Broadway shows uh, mm -hmm. a couple of times a year. Uh, and so we would uh, be the devoted in, in that segment. However, uh, you get to opera that's also at the Kennedy Center, and we're uh, not very interested. Now, it's, right. it's simply, uh, it's not that we don't have the capacity or the time, and we've already committed ourselves to the Kennedy Center, but I'm afraid to say I don't happen to know a lot about opera, uh, and I'm a little intimidated by it still. And so if there was a way, so here I am, uh, a, an audience ripe for the taking, if, if that organization could help me find a way to be more comfortable with opera, I'd sort of like to know about it, but I'm, I'm ashamed to ask. Carol, you know, you, you really nailed it exactly right. The, the cultural change or the, the mental change that we're trying to make for museums and other arts organizations is that this pick the low-hanging fruit meant that we could be somewhat passive, that once we sold the admission – that our job was done. I mean, yeah, we wanted to sell them a membership and we wanted to get contributions, but from a mission standpoint, once we, once they had the experience, we were done. And you just made exactly the right point. Even for people who have, who are devoted to us and who experience something of what we do, we have an ongoing responsibility to introduce them to even more. 
And this is the root of ambition. And, and frankly, I think it's the most important message to be sending out to these museums and to these arts organizations. No one is asking you to change your mission. No one's, no one's suggesting that you dumb down your mission or that you make it pablum or you make it more easily accessible. What we're talking about is emboldening your mission and bringing it you know, beyond the confines of the space that you conventionally occupy and finding new ways to, uh, to engage and connect with people. And that's the part that is just so thrilling. And that's the aha moment that happens when museum people come to one of the workshops or, or they engage with me and we start working through it and they discover this isn't about limiting options. This is about exploding all the wonderful options that exist to engage audiences in the work that the that the museum is doing yes yes very very much so it's taking that core audience uh i remember uh you know years ago going to audience uh workshops and the facilitator would uh create a bunch of bullseyes you know, so instead of using your your quadrant chart, it would be you mm-hmm. know here's your core audience right here at the middle, and then you have you know expanding circles coming out, uh, and that it's very difficult to reach you know someone who's on that outer circle. But what you're saying is each of each of the groups uh, needs to be considered in their own specific way, and particularly in communities where you know that that audience that might might be ready-made, that audience of 20-somethings who, may, like, like you, went to museums with their family uh, and sort of see museums or see arts organizations as a part of their daily life. We have a lot of people in this country uh, who didn't have that experience, and maybe they've never even been involved in a, uh, an arts organization or a, a, a play or a performance before, and it's our job to introduce them where they are. That's exactly right. right. And, and with no, no disdain and no cynicism, um, we are coming at this again, the end of the great hibernation. We are into a period of opportunity, and this is when we need to uh, learn to be creative and, and need to, be, you know, to have that kind of ambition. But, but the, the big difference is, uh, and, and this is, you know, this is something that maybe curators feel a little, you know, a little difficult with, but it's a new environment. Mission is still sacred, but curators for museums no longer can afford to think that their job is just to curate out of their own aesthetic and their own education out of the mission. It's also a curator's job to understand who the audiences are and how they work uh, forward with that understanding. So that they have to actually factor the audience into the, the, the work plan of what they're doing. And that leads to one other final point on this, which is let's remember some of this is heavy lifting that organizations can't do on their own. It does not make a whole lot of sense to drop a big advertising campaign on an asleep or an uninspired audience because there's just no amount of money that you can spend that's going to wake those people up or inspire them to come. But if we work in collaboration – if museums work with other museums, if they work with the performing arts sector, if they work with the cultural attractions, together we have massive power and leverage to raise the visibility of what we do. I'll give you my favorite example. I was working with a community 
And literally one of the ideas we came up with, it was back during the presidential campaign, so it was a few years ago, um, is that this community came up with the idea that they really wanted to have their own campaign bus for arts and cultural participation. The idea that literally a campaign bus would drive to a place, all these volunteers of of, of many different ages and ethnicities and everything who are genuine and authentic fans of the art forms being represented come off and they invade the soccer fields and the little league fields and the like. And that you have a campaign kind of structure where we're bringing the message out uh, widely to our community. I get really excited about those kinds of opportunities. I think that's, that's great, Matt. And I, I know that we could, uh, can uh, think of a whole a whole lot more of, of examples the the arts fairs that are going on the science fair down at the mall here in Washington uh, all of these are new and novel opportunities to open our doors and introduce our our objects and our knowledge mm-hmm. uh, and our experience and in new ways uh, we've got about a, a minute left so I want to remind all of you uh, to uh, to follow Matt on his blog, uh, Audience Wanted. It's really uh, valuable insights uh, into our our thinking. And also uh, check out audienceavenue.com. You'll be able to see where Matt's speaking and uh, perhaps arrange your, uh, an opportunity to bring a workshop to your own institution. Matt, thank you so much for being on our show today. Uh, this is really inspiring and it just goes to show how important it is uh, to bring uh, to look at our, our institutions from the outside in. Uh, again, this is uh, the Museum Life. This uh, you can always reach me to follow the conversation, continue the conversation, or or listen to Matt's show, share it with others at carolbossertservices.com. Uh, feel free to drop me a note at carol.bossert at verizon.net and tell me what what museum issue you're interested in hearing about. Uh, Matt, again, thank you very much. Uh, My this, pleasure. Thank you. This is the Museum Life. I'll be back next week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Museum Life. Please join your host, Carol Bossert, again next Friday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. With the weekend coming up, why not plan a trip to your favorite museum or one you've never been to? 